My name is Molly Broach, and I'm the Associate Director of Medical Affairs for the U.S. Region at BD Integrated Diagnostic Solutions. Femtech to me is putting women's needs in the forefront when developing and implementing tests for conditions that disproportionately affect this population. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Molly Broch, a women's health nurse practitioner and currently the Associate Director of Medical Affairs at BD. BD is one of the largest global medical technology companies in the world, with over 75,000 employees in virtually every country. Recently, BD received FDA approval for the BD Onclarity HPV assay, the only FDA-approved HPV assay that identifies six high-risk HPV genotypes individually, including HPV-31. As more women receive the HPV vaccine, the prevalence of two of the three highest-risk genotypes, HPV 16 and 18, have declined. Unfortunately, the third most highest, HPV 31, remains prevalent. BD's newest diagnostic tool provides a new standard of care for women. Learn more about BD's commitment to women's health at womens-health-solutions.bd.com. Enjoy the episode! Hey, Molly, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks so much for having me today. It is a pleasure to have such a, you know, prestigious, serious company like BD on the show. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love my founders. I love my startups, but it's always good to get some real like foundational biotech companies on the show as well, right? Like with these long histories of doing the work. So excited to have you, excited to learn about BD's new innovations and strategies around women's health. So it's great to have you here. Let's kick off the interview with learning a little bit more about yourself. Um, you know, how did you get here? Where did you, where'd you grow up? Did you go to college? Like, did you always want to be in this kind of field? But tell, tell us about your journey. Absolutely. Um, Thanks again for having me today on the podcast. Really excited. Um, So just to let you guys know, my name is Molly Broach. Um, Right now, I'm serving as the Associate Director of Medical Affairs at uh, BD Integrated Diagnostic Solutions. Um, I started at BD in 2018 as a medical science liaison. I focus on our women's health portfolio. Um, But prior to BD, I was really in the clinical space. So I have worked in the women's health field for nine years. Um, First, I was a registered nurse. I worked in labor and delivery. I worked in the women's OR. And then I continued my education and became a women's health nurse practitioner. So seeing sort of both obstetric and gynecological patients in a variety of settings. Um, Women's health really is my passion, um, and I'm super excited to talk more about recent innovations in the women's health diagnostic space today. So excited. Where are you based? Where are you calling me from today? Awesome. So I am from Baltimore, Maryland. I was born here um, 30-some years ago. (laughs) 
Um, and I am actually, I spent some time in Washington, D.C. and Arlington, Virginia and Philadelphia, but came back to Baltimore actually to work for BD, but it brought me back home, which is wonderful. Cool. And what is BD? I was uh, just at the gym telling my trainer, like, I'm interviewing BD today. She's like, what's BD? And I said, as soon as you see the logo, you'll know who it is. Because I actually similarly had that experience where I was like, BD, like, it must be short. And then I looked up the website and I was like, this is the BD. Like, whoa, like, I don't know. Maybe you, you, you're laughing. So maybe that's an experience you often have when people are like, like, don't worry, you really know. So tell us right. Yep. So we're definitely one of those companies that everyone knows by name because pretty much everybody has touched a BD product at some time. (laughs) So we're one of the largest global medical technology companies in the world. Uh, We have more than 70,000 employees around the world. Um, I think a lot of times uh, when we think of BD, we think of like uh, our specimen management uh, business unit, essentially. So we have like blood tubes, needles, urine cups. So I think if you've ever had to leave a urine specimen at your OBGYN or at the hospital, you likely used a BD cup. Um, But what's really exciting about BD is, you know, we have a women's health division too. And I think um, that's something that's becoming more important and more talked about within BD. Um, And it was one of the reasons I was brought on to the company. Um, But Uh, It's just women's health and cancer is one of the many things we do. We have a microbiology division. Um, We have, we do a lot of COVID testing. We have the Veritor test. So uh, within integrated diagnostic solutions, we just have really a bunch of offerings across the spectrum. Very cool. And do you know any history about BD, like how old the company is? Yeah, so um, we've been around for 125 years, so a very long time. Um, and really, the positive effect of BD's various innovations have touched probably billions of people worldwide every year. Um, and we're really focused on both smart, connected care and new care settings. So um, even since I've been here, which is uh, four years at this point, there have been many new developments just in that. Uh, short amount of time, you know, we really responded to the COVID pandemic by coming up with new diagnostics sort of across our platforms. And I think we continue every day to be uh, at the forefront of innovation, um, again, both in women's health and in all of our other divisions at BD. Does BD stand for something? Very good question. <laughs> so BD is Becton Dickinson and Company. Oh, a little bit, okay. A little bit long and wordy to say. So most of us go by BD. <laughs> yeah, there. Um, I used to live in Texas, and the major grocery store is HEB, and oh. HEB stands for Harry E. Butts, and so. <laughs> Definitely much rather shop for my food at HEB than the butt store. Um, that's, but that's hilarious. It's a very, very great family. <laughs> yeah, they're a great family in Texas. They do a lot of good. Um, how old is the women's health division at BD? Is it no more of a newer initiative or has it always kind of been there? So really interesting question there. So um, the women's health division is One of the relatively new um, sections of our integrated diagnostic solutions uh, division at BD, Um, the first women's health test that BD uh, actually offered was on our BD Max system, and it's a group B strep assay. So 
that's a really, really common test that's done for essentially all pregnant women at 35 to 37 weeks um, gestation. You get screened for this bacteria. It's a bacteria that um, a fair proportion of the female population harbors. It only really causes issues once your water has broken in labor and can pass on to the baby. Um, and that uh, that test, I think at this point, that was acquired by BD about maybe 15 years ago or so. Um, but since then, uh, we have really expanded the women's health portfolio. So we have uh, testing for sexually transmitted infections. We have a vaginal panel that's looking at the three most common causes of vaginitis. And really one of our most exciting tests um, and what's really sort of innovative at BD right now is our BD on Clarity HUV assay with extended genotyping. Uh, that test just got approval in 2018. And then uh, we got approval for the extended genotypes in 2020. And that really is, I think at this point, the test that's really setting us apart um, in our industry and uh, as a test for cervical cancer screening. Yes. And I can't wait for us to get into that topic. We're definitely going to dive into that. Um, You know, I recently was meeting with someone who uh, was questioning whether or not the large healthcare, you know, and biotech companies are ready for women's health innovation. And I told them yes, because, you know, startups, we've been seeing this huge, huge, huge growth in the last five years, particularly in the last two, it's just been skyrocketing, right? Like it's just on wildfire. Um, and I think that in a, a large pharma company or biotech, you know, medical device company, the equivalent is the 15 to 20 years <laughs> timeline, right? To get stuff done and move it. And so I, I said, yeah, I think that people are ready for it. They're ready to buy marketing research reports on it. They're ready to invest. They're ready to innovate in it. Do you think that's the case at BD that y'all are doubling down being like, this is absolutely something we need to prioritize? Absolutely. Um, I love that you mentioned that because I really think that is exactly what BD is thinking too. And really, I mean, we have developed this whole innovative portfolio, um, again, within the last 15 to 20 years Mm -hmm. along that same timeline, really focusing on these conditions that are affecting women and to an extent men. So, you know, with the sexually transmitted infections test for those, we are testing for both men and women. I think it's equally important to identify both to Mm -hmm. stop the spread of disease essentially. Um, But with the BD on Clarity HV assay um, that has this extended genotyping, meaning we're giving really more information about what type of HIV patients testing positive for, we're really trying to take testing to this new level and really bringing in personalized medicine to the field of cervical cancer screening. I think personalized medicine is something we hear a lot about um, in other fields like genetic cancer screening, uh, tests like that. But I think it's it, it that care for cervical cancer screening deserves that same um, attention to detail and that same sort of individualized approach um, and offering a test that has more information really allows you to do that. Mm. BD is such a big company, 125 years old, much older than me um, (laughs) or anybody on this call right now or listening, but how does such a big company do innovations? What is your company's approach to innovation? Excellent question again. Um, You know, I think we're really looking at what conditions impact 
people the most and really responding to that challenge. I mean, I think case in point, not women's health related, but the way we responded to the COVID pandemic with sort of rapid development of antigen testing, PCR testing. Um, I think BD just is very good at sort of assessing the current climate and what conditions are most impacting our population and developing tests to respond to those um, conditions. And I think uh, when we think about HPV testing, essentially, we all know that there are, you know, more than two types of HPV that uh, cause cervical precancer and cancer um, and need to be identified. Uh, case in point, our HPV vaccine now uh, tests, or it's called a non-avalent HPV vaccine. So we are protecting against several high-risk HPV genotypes. Um, and, you know, within that innovation, if it's important enough to uh, vaccinate against, really it's important enough to screen for as mm-hmm. well. And I think that um, that thought process was used when uh, developing this test. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into the cervical cancer thing, because as you mentioned, vaccines exist now, right? Um, so is cervical cancer still an issue in the United States? Or, I mean, I'm thinking it is considering you're screening for it. So kind of tell yeah. me about how significant is the impact of cervical cancer in the U.S.? Is it still a problem? Yeah. So sadly, you know, cervical cancer is still an issue in the United States. So um, some recent American Cancer Society estimates state about uh, 14,000 new cases of cervical cancer each year, and sadly, um, about 4,000 deaths. So this is not an issue that has gone away in this country, um, partially due to the fact that the HPV vaccines are still relatively new. So um, a lot of the women who are in the screening population right now, um, including you know women I would say around my age and older, were not able to get the HPV vaccine at the recommended age, which mm-hmm. is around 11 or 12 years old. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the way that vaccines work, if you get it post-exposure, it's it's of limited benefit. It can, you know, prevent against any additional um, HPV types that are protected that you might get in the future, but it's not going to take away a current infection. Um, and we really know that, um, screening for cervical cancer with an HPV test and ideally a DNA-based HPV test is the best way to screen for cervical cancer um, because you really want to be screening for the virus that is is causing the issue. So yeah, I mean, it is still an issue and there is a need for um, good diagnostics to be testing for this condition. What percentage of cervical cancer cases is caused by HPV versus just spontaneous mm-hmm. cancer? Does that spontaneous cancer ever even happen? Really, really good question there. So it, HPV really causes virtually all cervical cancer cases, um, well over 90%, but um, it, there are some rare cases where um, HPV may not be the cause of cervical cancer. Um, but essentially there's also a chance that maybe a cervical cancer was diagnosed and it was a, a false negative on an HPV test. Um, really this virus has been pinpointed to be the cause of cervical cancer 
which is why, I mean, it's pretty amazing the availability of the um, HIV vaccine as well, because when we think about it, this is really one of the only vaccines that's able to protect against cancer. I mean, yeah. how cool would it would be? How cool would it be if we had that? You know, for um, all other cancers Breast that cancer. kids at eleven to twelve could get yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, it's by having more people vaccinated both boys and girls with that HIV vaccine, we are hoping that, you know, sometime, hopefully not in the too far future, we will see a decrease in cervical cancer cases and deaths. Um, But screening guidelines have not changed for the vaccinated population. So even if you did receive, um, you know, all of the recommended doses of the HIV vaccine, it is still recommended that you are screened um, according to societal guidelines for cervical cancer. HPV is transmitted through sexual intercourse, right? Or is there other ways to transmit HPV? Yeah, that is the primary way that it's transmitted. Um, It's essentially skin to skin contact though, most likely with, you know, genital skin, but, um, you know, part of our issue is right now too, we, all the tests that are approved in the U S we only have indications for screening of the female population, um, testing men at this point or testing really specimens other than the cervix are considered off label. Um, and I think that's something, and there are HIV associated cancers in other areas in the cervix, you know, the throat, the rectum, um, various other organs can be, um, affected by HIV infection and lead to cancers. I mean, I think there's been some sort of notable, um, you know, cases of celebrities having HIV associated cancers like throat cancers and, um, uh, other cancers that are caused by HIV as well. So I think, you know, when we think about future advancements, it, it would be nice to have uh, tests that are able to screen both men and women um, uh, for those other areas as well. So we actually don't know the prevalence of HPV in the male population because the test we have for it is only in females. Do you have any hypothesis as to why we haven't made or figured out how to test males? Oh, I know it's the, the million dollar question. So I think part of the issue is, well, first of all, HIV is just overwhelmingly prevalent. Um, one of my colleagues at BD sometimes calls it like the common cold um, of, of STDs. I think um, pretty much everybody who has been sexually active at one point probably has had some sort of HIV infection. Uh, Most likely it was a transient infection that cleared by the time you even got a test. And it's actually not recommended to screen very young women for cervical cancer uh, by means of an HIV test at a very young age because of that, just because um, the body usually does take care of the virus and clears it in about one to two years. It's that issue with persistence. Um, but going back to the the question about males, there are nice clear cut guidelines for what to do when a patient has um, abnormal cells on their pap smear or has an HIV positive test. However, with males, there's really no guidelines for what to do if they end up being positive. Um, so there's just, I guess, sort of 
limited clinical utility. I know one of the things healthcare providers don't like is getting test results and then not knowing what to do with them. So I think at some point, if there was the development of guidelines that um, gave providers some indication of what to do with those results, there could be um, the test probably would be more commercialized and approved in the U.S., it's just so crazy to think, you know, and I'm, I'm someone, I got diagnosed with HPV. I was a freshman, I think in college. And I remember getting the phone call and they were like, you have HPV. And I, my heart sank. I was like, oh my God, I haven't been safe. Like I made a mistake. And, um, you know, I, I told my mom and she was like, what are you doing in college? And I was like, I don't know. And I looked back at that and like, I really needed someone to be like, Hey, like pretty much everyone's got a girl, like you're fine. Cause I felt like, oh my God, I have to call past partners. Like I felt like it was so heavy. And now today I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like a common cold. Like most people have had, had exposure to it. So, but I do think it's very interesting that it's mostly females carrying the burden of knowledge of them being, having it or not, you know, whereas they're like, we don't have it. And it's like, yes, you do. And you probably gave it to me. Like, but you don't know. (laughs) Absolutely. Exactly. Because there's no symptoms. And, you know, I feel bad for you, Brittany, because I think, you know, the only reason you even knew is because they did a test, you know, potentially too early. I mean, right now, the recommendation is not to start cervical cancer screening until age 21. Mm -hmm. And some guideline bodies like the American Cancer Society actually recommend not starting until age 25, because again, Um, the virus is just so common in those younger age groups and really will clear on its own. I think, you know, the problem is exactly to your point, sort of worrying people too much or potentially, you know, over treatment of something that would just clear on its own if just, if it was left alone. So I think um, I'm happy to see that guidelines have changed to really, um, you know, reflect the fact that we want to be careful about screening younger women and, and what are the implications of that. Now, of course, there's always, you know, terrible cases where um, somebody could have a persis- persistent infection at a younger age and it is resulting in something, but the vast majority of women really are clearing those infections at a young age. And yeah. it's, it's once you see those infections year after year and things not clearing um, that, there tends to be more worry and more need to know what genotype the patient's testing positive for and and that type of information. And now a quick word from our sponsors. So you've heard the story of the birds and the bees, right? Well, I'm happy to tell you there's a brand new chapter. I'm talking about Mosey, the first and only syringe designed for insemination at home. Mosey has been proven as effective as doctor-administered inner uterine insemination, or IUI. People have been saving thousands of dollars by using Moby's baby kit at home insemination, since it only costs $50 per attempt. That's $50, five zero per attempt. Please learn more about how Mosey's patented design works and read some of the thousands of fertility and pregnancy success stories on their website. Go to www.moseybaby.com. That's Mosey, M-O-S-I-E, baby.com. And now back to the interview. 
Well, obviously they've been screening for this for a while. Um, I'm no longer a freshman in college, right? So these screens have been around. Right. Why, why did BD invest in creating an additional one? What's different about the uh, new BD HPV assay? Yeah, absolutely. So um, most HPV tests that are on the market right now have something called partial genotyping. So what they're reporting out is generally HPV 16 and 18 or HEV 16 and 18 slash 45. And then they're grouping the other 11 or 12 genotypes into what we call a pool. Essentially what BD did is they are giving nine different result reports with the BD on clarity HEV assay. So we have six individual reports, including those 16 and 18, which again, traditionally have sort of been the two highest risk HEV genotypes, the ones that are most likely to um, result in, in cervical precancer and cancer. Um, but again, we have six high-risk HEV genotypes reported individually, and then three in um, small groups of either two or three genotypes that are grouped according to risk. But essentially, um, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to release this additional information is because currently those HEV genotypes that with other tests are included in this pooled result. Um, they have very, very different risks for cervical precancer and cancer. So some of the high-risk genotypes in that group have a relatively low risk for cervical precancer and cancer and might end up being managed too aggressively, while other genotypes, and I really like to point out HPV 31. So HPV 31 really has a risk for cervical precancer and cancer that falls right under, um, uh, or not right under, but under HEV 16, which is by far the highest risk for cervical precancer and cancer. Um, and essentially, if that genotype is not individually identified, you're really managed according to a risk profile that doesn't quite fit you because it, these other tests are grouping all these genotypes into one pool. So the hope is by providing this additional information um, about these genotypes, we can better manage uh, patients, which would mean that, you know, women who test positive for HEV 31, just recognizing the risk that they are at that higher risk for cervical precancer and cancer. So what I hear you saying is like, it's kind of like a test to figure out if you have COVID or just regular Rona rhinovirus, just a regular cold and like the precautions that one might take for one versus the other. Right. Right. And, you know, I think it, 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 it clues the clinician into how do I manage this patient correctly? Because I think when, again, when you're grouping everything together, you're sort of averaging the risk of all of those genotypes. Mm -hmm. So that's fine if you're on the lower end, but if you're on the higher end of risk and are being told you have an average risk, you might be told to essentially come back and get retesting in a year when actually a diagnostic procedure to, to actually see if you have disease would be the, the more recommended pathway. So um, I think just giving some of this additional information really should help 
clinicians accurately manage and diagnose patients. Yeah. You're mentioning, you know, how physicians manage their patients, manage the patients. What is a typical way to manage a patient at really low risk? And what's the management of a patient with really high risk HPV? Wonderful question. Lots of sort of complicated terms in cervical cancer screening. And so, you know, when we think of the traditional pap smear or pap test and an HPV test, those are all essentially screening tests. So those usually don't definitively give a disease status. When there's abnormal findings on a PAP or a HEV test, generally the next step that a doctor takes is something called a colposcopy, not a colonoscopy, but a colposcopy. <laughs> um, I know sometimes uh, when I was seeing patients, they would get confused by that as well, too. You'd be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Whoa. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Um, And that's just a procedure. Essentially, it's set up very similar to um, the PAP, speculums inserted. Um, An instrument called a colposcope is used. Essentially, we're taking a better look at the cervix uh, to look for lesions that are often caused by HPV. Um, And about 85% of the time, I would say a small biopsy is taken. And that biopsy is really what's going to tell you whether the woman is negative for disease or um, has cervical precancer, or I mean, in some cases, unfortunately, um, cancer, but it's usually with colposcopy, it is um, uh, a precancer that's identified. Mm-hmm. After that, if your colposcopy yields abnormal results, um, often doctors will, will do what's called a leap or an excisional procedure where a larger amount of tissue is removed. Um, but that is only in cases where um, the results of the colposcopy sort of reach a certain threshold of abnormality that that's warranted. Um, so several steps along the way, but I think that sort of explains why it's important that you don't lead somebody down this pathway that doesn't need to be, but also you want to direct the people who do need it because if you let somebody or you give false reassurance that a patient can come back in like a year, I think oftentimes patients think, oh, they said I was fine. I'm not going to come back in a year. I'll wait like five years. And then, you know, if that infection stays, that is when you do have a high risk for disease. So um, we, you know, and, and we might enter like a pandemic or something like that again, and then people can't go to the doctor. Yeah. So I think, you know, you really, if, if something needs to be done, you want to identify these patients ASAP. Yeah. One thing that Fentic Focus is really passionate about is accessibility and, you know, making sure that everyone is getting healthcare because obviously the, the root of our cause is that uh, sex is a unfair, unfair variable in healthcare, whether you're male or female, you get different healthcare, but we also look at race and, you know, getting different healthcare. I, I believe there's certain, uh, races of women and females that have higher risks of developing cervical cancer. I also know that there's different HPV strains in different countries around the world that are in, included in the vaccine. So, I don't know if this has anything to do with the BD assay, but does it have any potential benefits to women of different races or ethnicities in terms of like capturing a, a positive result? Yeah, really, really good question there. I mean, I think the nice thing about identifying more genotypes is that to your point, I think in certain populations, certain genotypes pose a higher risk than other ones. Um, you know, we 
are the first to have an FDA-approved test with extended genotyping. So I think in the forthcoming years, when we start running this test in lots of different populations, we probably are going to see some interesting trends. Um, I know, you know, historically there has been some data, but now we will have more data using this FDA-approved test. Um, And, you know, improving access to care, one thing that uh, BD doesn't offer now, but I think on the forefront of everybody's mind is um, home collection and self-collection. You know, we've seen that it was a success with COVID. People are able to collect their own samples. And I think in the future, when we think about innovation and reaching more populations, that is something that, you know, I would love to see considered. And I think, you know, something uh, BD as well as other diagnostic manufacturers have on the forefront of our mind. Um, Especially for, for that. women's health. Women, we are busy. Right. We don't have time to go and we will deprioritize our health time and time again for everything else and everyone else in the world. And so at-home tests is absolutely a huge priority for femtech innovators because we know that, you know, if women can buy it and do it at home, she'd much rather do that than get naked in a, you know, little <laughs> cotton robe and have things probed. If she could just swab it at home, she'd much rather do that. Uh, exactly. And, yeah, and yeah. it's not a, a subpar service to be offering because again, as we know, HPV oh. is virtually causing or causing virtually all cervical cancer cases. So, you know, this is the right test to be doing to screen for cervical cancer. And, you know, essentially how it would work is if you test positive for HPV, that is when you would uh, present to your OBGYN to um, essentially have a traditional pap collected and getting the, get the cells and all of that. Um, but you would also have the reassurance if you're negative, um, you know, using a highly sensitive HPV test that um, you might need not need to be subjected to that procedure, which to your point, everybody hates. Nobody looks forward to, no. to that visit every year, <laughs> Molly, um, this is every few years. Such a great interview. My last question about BD is, you know, maybe some future directions or is there other areas in women's health that BD is passionate about currently working on or thinking about? Absolutely. And I think we spoke about this a little bit, but I think, you know, really this trend toward making diagnostics more accessible to um, everybody. I mean, you know, it started, we have our COVID at home test with the the BD Veritor system. So we've already put that into patient's hands. And I think um, self-collection for HPV is another thing that is um, a big focus and something that we would like to work on as a company. Um, because again, I really do think that that will expand access to care for so, so many people who, for a variety of reasons, whether it be transportation issues, not wanting to go see an OBGYN, just so many different reasons to, to um, offer HPV testing at home. I think we're also just sort of always looking for new and emerging infections that are uh, affecting women. So when we look at our sexually transmitted infection portfolio, just looking for new organisms that could be um, causing disease with our vaginitis assay. I think we recognize that the microbiome of females Mm -hmm. is something that's not just a static thing. So just really making sure that we stay up to date with what is going on in the women's health field. Um, and I think BD does a good job of engaging clinicians and laboratorians and researchers to 
find out what is going on so that we know how to best develop these tests in the future. Um, you know, I think I was really excited to work for BD as a former healthcare provider because I think it's you know important to get insights from people who are actually seeing patients and knowing you know how patients want to be tested, what sample types are acceptable, things like that. Yeah. Well, this has been such a great interview. I have two last questions for you that our listeners really love. The first one yeah. is. Uh, we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that listen. So what is an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Great question. Um, I think one area that I feel like still needs in, in innovation is um, care for the transgender population. A lot of the tests that are FDA cleared right now um, did not include um, that group in their clinical trials and often tests have to be used off label. So I think a lot of focus should be given in the future to um, making sure we are very inclusive with clinical trials um, or do post-market studies of our tests to make sure that the tests that we offer are good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also this sort of plays into the self-collection thing too, you know, just offering acceptable testing um, to make people comfortable and make people want to get testing and, you know, removing sort of any of the stigma of maybe having to go to a a physician's office. Yeah, totally. Well, we love that here. We are big believers in Femtech is for female women and girls, you know, there's yeah. lots of people with vaginas out there that need right. testing that may or may not want the world to know they have a vagina, right? Exactly. Or like, however they identify it's, you know, um, so interesting. We live in a world where genitals are so uh, uh, not allowed to be talked about, but then all of a sudden there's certain people we're like so curious and it's just like, that's their own business. Let them do it at home. So totally appreciate that. Uh, And then the last question we have is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? I think really just putting women in the, you know, forefront of everything when developing these new technologies. So again, if a company is coming up with a new test and wants to know what the best sample types are, like go directly to the women who will be using the test and ask them, would you be willing to, you know, collect a sample in this type? Is this device that we're using comfortable or causing you pain? Things like that. I think just making sure that things we offer to women are things that will be used. Because again, if we put technologies out there that are not acceptable, um, they won't be used and we will not be screening. Yeah. Um, I have so many stories in mind of (laughs) femtech startups started typically by men being like, women need these (laughs) gloves so they can change their tampon without touching themselves. And it's like, women are like, no, we're cool. We are totally fine touching that. You know, like, why are you creating waste for the world? Right. We never talked to a woman about this. So yeah, I am right there with you. Molly, this has been such a great interview. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank you for listening to my interview with Molly Broche, the Associate Director of Medical Affairs for BD.
Learn more about BD's commitment to women's health at womens-health-solutions.bd.com. Be sure to give the show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up to be a FemPro member for only $15 a month and get access to our assets, such as the Femtech Company Database and our self-guided Femtech Accelerator. Keep an eye out for our monthly Femtech Book Club, which happens the last Wednesday of every month, and subscribe to our newsletter. Last but not least, please consider setting up a recurring monthly donation to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.